0: Welcome to the Greenwood Forest podcast. I am your host, Stephen Stacks, and this week we are looking at what it means to be inclusive of LGBTQ plus uh, individuals. Um, last week we talked generally about inclusion. If you missed that episode, go back and listen to it. Um, but we're going to start out this week um, on LGBTQ inclusion with an interview um, with uh BJ and Michael, who are a couple who um, are members at Greenwood Forest. I'm going to hear a little bit about their experiences of what it's like to search for a church, um, to search for an inclusive church as a gay couple.
1: Hi, I'm, I'm BJ Facewire. Um, I, How I got here is uh, I kind of was have been looking for a church for a while, and um, I, my therapist had brought up about this this place and showed me the website and i'm like let's give it a try when you know when it says it's an inclusive community and start listing off everybody that and i'm like oh lgbtq okay let's let's give it a try hmm. and my name is michael
2: yates um i uh how did i end up here well um bj hmm. uh that's uh <laughs> Uh, my faith journey has been kind of up and down, and uh, I knew that BJ had grown up in the church, and it's something that I supported him with. And uh, when he said he wanted to give it a try, I said, "Okay, I'll, I'll come along for the ride and see how it goes." And, uh, and I was very cautious uh, in the beginning, and um, and I guess that's how we have ended up here. Um, is that we went home and had the discussion? You know, is this. Uh, how do we how do we feel about the church? Yeah. And I think that's a big thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, tell me a little bit more about what it's like to um, you know to look for a faith community as, as a gay couple, knowing you know the way that a lot of churches uh, uh, the way that a lot of churches treat gay folks in the world, but also the way that you know things can sometimes be misleading about um, about how churches operate
1: well I think it's I think it's very it's a very interesting task to try to find a church um, in any religion, but really in a Baptist religion, it's really, really difficult because um, I grew up in a conservative independent fundamental Baptist church, and I know all the the ins and outs of you know what kind of people what kind of people they are, what kind of people they will accept, what kind of people. All that stuff and so I've always been very leery I I literally (laughs) literally I had found a church once that kind of I thought was welcoming me in um, and until I had actually been involved in their choir for a little while and um, about the time I started talking about my husband um, they they actually pulled me aside one morning uh, the pastor and the music minister both looked at me and they said, uh, "Maybe you should think about changing religions."
0: Wow!
1: And I was like, um, "No, maybe I should just not go here anymore. Yeah. <laughs> just not help you guys out anymore." So, um, I know it's been very difficult. It it it's very very difficult to find when you've got you've got people that they say they're a welcoming church, and as soon as you step in the door, you're like, "Okay, they're." They're friendly, they, they say hello, you know, all that stuff. But then you get to the sermon and you're like, oh, they're not as welcoming as they make themselves sound out to be. Mm, mm-hmm.
2: And we have had a couple of instances. Um, uh, looking at faith, you know, in different points in your life you look at faith. You look at, at finding a faith journey. And um, I would find, uh, I would find a faith that seemed affirming. Um, that, that I'd find a pastor online mm. and start following them and go wow this is something what this pastor is saying is really speaking to me let's find a church associated with that faith mm. um, we, we've we done that I went, we went to a church uh, a few years ago and the pastor was, was very affirming um, he was very glad to see us uh, members of the congregation were very glad to see us and uh, But there's always, I hate to put it this way, but there's always one. Mm -hmm. There's always one. And literally, I had a woman come up and look at me and go, "Uh, you may want to find a church in in the city. Mm. Like, not that the faith is bad, but you may just want to find a different church. You know, this one's a little bit more rural and not really your place. And uh, growing up, we we had church associations. Um, I remember when we went to get married, we spoke to a pastor that has been part of my family, family's faith journey, for a long time. And he said, I would love to, you know, we said, can you come and, and marry us? And uh, he said, I would love to, um, but I can't hmm. because of the church, because hmm. of the congregation there. I would lose congregation. Hmm. It would mess, and, it would mess it up me standing something. in the church. And, yeah. and uh... And that was kind of heartbreaking and we've had that that you know a couple of times where people um have coming on like we really you know uh we individually affirming but we just can't do this we can't
1: you know uh do this within the church yeah so yeah um i had i actually had a church that uh, the pastor um is the guy that i we were we were best friends in high school we graduated high school together. he went off to seminary, and I had lost t- touch with him. And years later, I found him at a church that was where we were... It was very close to where we were living. So I started going to his church, and, you know, he was like, Yeah, come on, you know, come in, get, come to the church, you know, that kind of stuff. And I went to him one Sunday afternoon, or after church, and I was like, um, I need to talk to you about something. And he's like, uh, I think I know what you want. And I'm like, okay. I said... Uh, i i'd be interested in joining your church and he looked me square in the face he said i i i can't do it i that it goes completely against all the bylaws and everything that our church stands for and you and you know this and so no i can't i can't uh i can't let you be a member of our church wow man
0: all right what does it mean one more question what does it mean for you to for a church to be truly inclusive
1: well, I think myself personally I think it's not only it's not only the fact of like welcoming somebody through the doors um but once they get there um letting them letting them put their talents to work just like any other person in the church. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I've I've been in churches where, you know, they're fine for you to come and say, "Hey, you have a you have a musical ability. You know, we'll let you be in the choir, we'll let you sing." that kind of stuff but um, we don't want you we don't want you to ask to work with the children's ministry mm. you know especially the children's ministry because you know we, we don't we don't want to have to have the parents have to explain to the kids mm. about you And it's like, it's very, it's very disheartening, you know, because I, I've had a, I did have a church where I went to the music minister and they were looking for someone to work with a youth choir. And I'm like, well, you know, let me, let me help. And he's like, I don't think that's a good idea, you know, because parents would, parents would find it difficult to have to try to explain Mm -hmm. you, your, you and your life. And I'm like, um, that's that's on them that's not on me yeah so i was like that, i can't so yeah i mean i i would like to would like to see for an inclusive a really inclusive church it would have to be somebody that would say hey we're welcoming you here and anywhere in this church that you feel called to or want to help out yeah we can we will let you do yeah
2: that's yeah. so like to me it's an atmosphere and we discussed this i'm glad you asked the question because it made the discussion open for us yeah yeah And uh, I said, for me, it is a sense of normalcy. Yeah. It is a sense of... uh, I know he gets tired of me telling... I tell the story a lot. But to me, this is the example. Um, We go to Walmart, and we're standing in front of the milk. Did you drink the milk last night? Like, are we out of milk? Do we need more milk? You know, I know you and the cookies and the milk. (laughs) Uh, Well, maybe, maybe we need milk, maybe we don't, I don't know. And... In the back, there's this like little sixty year old woman who toddles up behind you, and she goes, "You're just like me and my husband." Like mm. this is just so cute. You are just like <laughs> me and my husband, you know, and walks away. And in that moment, that is normalcy. Yeah, that is it. We are. We're just. I mean, like, we argue just like you do. We have the same problems, the same strives. We are exactly the same. Um, to me, a church does not have to uh it stands up for all aspects of its members um no every every sermon doesn't have to be a pride event mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be something that is it's just normal i am i am exactly like you i'm exactly like you and your wife yeah. you know um and that's and it 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 creates a level of comfort uh and to be affirming yes to be you know Stand up for the moral issues. Stand up for what's right. Um, but to also see past that, Yeah. you know. Um, I had a teacher in high school that I will never forget, and I was the high school kid who floated like a foot off the ground and was just like over-the-top gay. Just, yeah. You know, I, that was it. <laughs> yeah. And he stopped me one day, and he looked at me, and he said, Gay may be what you are, but it's not who you are. Mm. And if you let it be who you are, you're going to be very sad and lonely. Mm. Because you are someone's, you know, someone's child, someone's brother. Mm. You're going to be someone's employee or employer. You're going to be someone's husband, um, someone's partner. And it really did take me aback for a second. Because we are, everybody could be pinned into one thing. I could look at you and go, he's a minister. Right. I mean, that's all he is. He's just a minister. Yeah. And if you do that, you lose 90% of everything else that someone is. So to me, it's just, it's a sense of normalcy. It's a sense of this is the average. Um, We've always been here. We'll always be here. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: All right. Michael and BJ, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you sharing. Um, And, uh, Yeah, we're really glad you're here.
1: Thank you. We're glad to be here.
0: We're glad to be here, yeah. And we're going to move on from Michael and BJ's experience uh, to talking about um, what it means to construct a uh, a theology of inclusion for LGBTQ people. So before we jump into that, um, just a note on language, um, the acronym LGBTQIA, LGBTQIA. Means stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning, intersex, um, and asexual. Sometimes the A stands for ally, but I don't. Um, I prefer to include asexual, um, which is also a queer identity, in the acronym and not include ally, um, which uh, it's great to be an ally. I consider myself an ally, but I don't consider myself. Um, Uh, a part of the acronym LGBTQIA because I am an ally Um, I think that the acronym should be reserved for queer people and therefore I think asexual is more appropriate um, for the A than ally. Uh, You'll hear uh, me use the term queer throughout uh, this uh, session. Queer is an umbrella term that was reclaimed by queer people in the 80s to be a positive um, word, uh, no longer an insult. Um, as it was used uh, before that time and still is used by some people. Um, But in the 80s queer people reclaimed that word. Queer is now a synonym for um, acronyms such as LGBTQIA. It it can also describe a self-conscious embrace of all that is transgressive of societal norms. Um, Or it's also a a type of academic methodology, queer theory. So The first question I want to ask is, does scripture even address queer identity? Um, I think this is important to pose because um, we know that uh, the Bible is an ancient book um, from an ancient culture that uh, really um, had no awareness of many of the things that are of moral concern now. For instance, does scripture address uh, space travel, or iPhones, or watching television. No. Um, or if you'd like to glean um, some message from Scripture on those topics, you have to do a, a good bit of interpretation, interpretive work. Many people like to pretend that um, that Scripture addresses uh, homosexuality very clearly, but it really does not. Sexual orientation, gender identity... Intersex people were not understood by the ancient world in the ways that modern science has allowed us to understand them. So, really, from the outset, we can say that none of the clobber, the so called clobber passages, are really relevant to LGBTQ people now um, because they are not addressing uh, what we now know to be sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, even still, literalist interpretations of them can be dismissed for other reasons. Um, I'm not going to go through the clobber passages now because I'd rather spend our time together constructing a positive theology of LGBTQ inclusion rather than um, dismissing the clobber passages. However, um, I would just point uh, the listeners to um, resources such as Matthew Vine's um, The Reformation Project if you'd like um, the case for dismissing the clobber passages as relevant to LGBTQ faith now. So even though uh, the clobber passages and other passages that uh, some assume address LGBTQ identity are not super relevant, there are queer people throughout scripture. Now, this might come as a surprise for, uh, to many people who have never um, considered scripture without a heteronormative um, kind of lens. However, I... Um, in this session, I'd really like for us to take that heteronormative, uh, those heteronormative blinders off and look at scripture um, in a new way. There are lots of characters throughout the biblical story that we would identify as queer people today. Um, some of these I have, uh, you know, a question mark about. Um, and what that means is that, um, you know, They can be read as queer. Um, They possibly were queer. We don't have enough information to know for sure. Um, But many of these, I can say with 95% certainty, are are queer people, sometimes 100% certainty. Um, The first of these characters is David and Jonathan. Um, The relationship between David and Jonathan has been pointed to quite a bit um, as uh, a um, some type of uh, same-sex uh, loving relationship. Um, if you read First and Second Samuel, you will see that this is obviously not merely a platonic friendship. Um, there is more going on in this relationship than that. For instance, 1 Samuel 18, 1-4 reads, When David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David, his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. And then 2 Samuel 1 26, uh, this occurs right when David finds out that Jonathan has died. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. So I think it's pretty clear, if you don't try to explain it away, that um, David and Jonathan's relationship um, is one that we could certainly call queer. The next relationship I want to talk about is Ruth and Naomi. Now this, um, one can again assume that this relationship was platonic, um, but the Book of Ruth has uh, homoerotic subtext that I think is hard to ignore. And indeed, Ruth and Naomi have been um, really important biblical characters. The story of Ruth and Naomi has been an important one, um, for, especially for lesbian people. Eunuchs uh, are characters throughout scripture um, that we're going to dive into a little bit deeper in just a minute. I'm mentioning them here now um, because they are mentioned uh, in the Hebrew Bible, they're mentioned by Jesus, they're talked about in the book of Acts. Um, and I really think that um, tracing uh, scripture's address, um, addressing of eunuchs is the most uh, clear way to, to see what scripture's argument really is about inclusion of LGBTQ people. But we'll return to eunuchs in just a minute. Some other characters that I think are or could be queer in Scripture: the Roman centurion, um, who is mentioned in Matthew eight and Luke seven, um, almost certainly queer. Uh, the word this is this is a Roman centurion who comes to Jesus asking Jesus to heal his servant, um, or slave. Sometimes translated, uh, this word that is used here in Matthew eight and Luke seven um, is not just a general servant. It's, not, it's a specific type of servant. Um, and in Roman culture, especially Roman military culture, uh, this servant was um, almost always a young male sexual partner for um, the higher-up uh, Roman military officer. So this Roman centurion um, loves this servant and comes to Jesus asking this servant to be healed. Um, definitely a... Um, a same-sex uh, sexual relationship happening here between the Roman centurion um, and his servant. And Jesus heals the servant and blesses the faith of the Roman centurion um, and includes no condemnation in, in either of those actions. Uh, the man carrying the water jug, this this is very easy to miss, but in Matthew fourteen thirteen and Luke 22, 10, um, uh, this is the story of the... Um, of Palm Sunday, of the triumphal entry, Jesus sends his disciples into town to to procure um, his ride into Jerusalem, and he tells them to look for a man carrying a water jug. Now, you could think nothing of this um, now, but in that time, in that culture, men did not carry water jugs. That was an act that would have transgressed gender norms. So Jesus essentially sends his disciples to look for um, a man who is transgressive of gender norms, which makes sense because Jesus and his disciples were um, marginalized people. They were uh, radicals on the outside of society, and there are certain folks who would, um, who would be more inclined to harbor them um, as they plan this revolutionary act, um, queer people being among, that, uh, among them. Um, The Ethiopian eunuch from Acts 8, again, we'll return to to him in just a minute. Um, Mary and Martha are a question mark, but also an interesting couple to consider. Um, Traditionally, we know of Mary and Martha as sisters, um, but if you begin to look more carefully at the relationship between Mary and Martha and their brother, um, none of these... uh, uh, no spouse for any of these three is mentioned in Scripture. Mary and Martha um, seem to be uh, seem to be single, living together um, as sisters. Lazarus, their brother, seems to be a bachelor, living with his sisters. Um, we know that lesbian couples have have called themselves sisters uh, to survive um, and live together throughout history. Um, and to have an unmarried man also living with them. Um, you know, again, you could read this as just a family um, that's living together, all the siblings who all live together. But it's very unusual for the time, this, this living arrangement. Um, next, I, I would like to bring up St. Paul. Um, I think that uh, the circumstances of Paul's life in combination with passages like 2 Corinthians 12 and Romans 7 uh, really point to Paul potentially having a queer identity. Um, Paul uh, is also, famously, his words have been used to um, oppress and exclude queer people throughout history, but I think this is a, a grave error um, and that Paul actually uh, could have been um, queer and struggling with his identity. Uh, if, you, you know, if you read... Uh, passages like Second Corinthians uh, 12, where he talks about this thorn in his side um, that he cannot get rid of. If you read Romans 7, where Paul talks about, um, you know, not being able to do the things I, I cannot do that which I want to do, um, um, my identity betrays me each time. Uh, Paul also. Um, was always connected to a younger male throughout his uh, ministry career, very close confidant type male. Um, So I think there's lots of uh, kind of circumstantial evidence that points to potentially Paul um, uh, being a queer man. And then lastly, I'm going to put Jesus on this list too, and we'll talk about that more in a moment. So... The main point that I want to make about LGBTQ inclusion in scripture, I want to make by looking at the story of eunuchs throughout scripture. Eunuchs were not normative with regard to gender and sexuality, um, and most often that was through no choice of their own. Um, So their treatment in scripture is really as close an analog as we can find to um, the way we understand LGBTQ identity today. Um, Most often eunuchs were used, uh, they were slaves or servants in the the ancient Near East, and they were used as court officials. Um, They were important uh, because they could work with the women of the palace um, with no threat of disrupting the royal bloodline um, because their reproductive system had been uh, disrupted um, or disabled. Uh, So we can trace how the biblical authors um, call for their exclusion or inclusion throughout scripture. And I think really um, have a clear trajectory um, to follow today. So if you read Deuteronomy 23.1, you will see that um, in, in the uh, Deuteronomic law, uh, eunuchs were supposed to be excluded. Um, Deuteronomy 23.1 says, No one whose testicles are crushed or whose penis is cut off shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Very clear. Um, They're describing what happens uh, to make someone into a eunuch there, and eunuchs are to be excluded. Um, Deuteronomy 23.1. Now, um, interestingly enough, uh, if you flip over uh, a few books and... um, uh, A period of time uh, there in scripture all the way to Isaiah 56 verses 3 through 5 you will see that already in the book of Isaiah uh, the spirit of God is doing a new thing so in Isaiah 56 um, 3 through 5 the scripture says do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say the Lord will surely separate me and do not let the eunuch say I am just a dry tree for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So here we have Isaiah saying, eunuchs who join themselves to the Lord will be considered even better than sons and daughters in God's house. Then we move on over to Matthew chapter 19, verse 12. Um, And this is kind of a a cryptic passage where Jesus mentions eunuchs. Um, Jesus says, For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. So here we have Jesus mentioning several different types of eunuchs. It seems like, eunuchs who have been so from birth Uh, could be a reference to an ancient understanding of intersex uh, people. Then we see Jesus mentioning the most common type of eunuch at the time, eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, um, usually when they were very young. And then, uh, but sometimes not. Um, And then there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Um, A kind of cryptic uh, passage there, potentially um, Jesus is talking about uh, celibate people here. I'm not so sure about that. Um, but regardless, Jesus does not condemn any of these three types of eunuchs that he's talking about. And then in Acts 8, we have the, um, the primary passage about the inclusion of eunuchs. Um, that is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, um, where... At the end of their conversation, the Ethiopian eunuch says, what is to prevent me from being baptized? And and Philip um, then baptizes him, uh, indicating that nothing is to prevent eunuchs, and I would then also argue queer people, from full inclusion um, into the life of God's people. The trajectory is very clear here. Eunuchs go from being condemned in Deuteronomy 23 to being fully embraced and included um, already by the book of Isaiah, but certainly by the book of Acts. I'd like to now though go beyond the affirmation of queer people in Scripture um, we know that all people are made in God's image and that God particularly identifies with um, people who have been made outcasts in the world so I want to now suggest what if God is queer this is not a new idea for queer theory but it, um, a queer theology I mean but it may be a new identity uh, a new idea for many of you however let's think about it. Um, What if God is queer? In addition to God making all genders in God's image, God is imagined and referred to as both genders, all genders, throughout Scripture. Um, You can look for all the times that God is described as feminine in Scripture. Um, This would lead us to conclude that God is beyond gender or gender non-binary, gender fluid. Um, If God is gender fluid, the or non-binary, then the incarnation itself can be considered a form of gender transition. In other words, if God is not exclusively male, then in becoming Jesus, God is transitioning from one gender identity to another. God is transitioning from being non-binary to being male. Um, therefore, we could call Jesus a trans man in the context of his divinity um, and its gender. Uh, Jesus himself, um, I think, we could also consider to be queer. Um, Jesus not only identifies with the oppressed and the marginalized, um, whatever you did to the least of these you did to me, um, but most Christians implicitly assume that Jesus was a celibate heterosexual, but I want to ask why we make that assumption. Um, If we insist that Jesus did not have sex, then we could also consider that perhaps Jesus was asexual. Um, Or what he himself called a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom. Either way, that gives Jesus a queer identity. Whether he's ace or a eunuch um, for the sake of the kingdom, those are both queer identities. People familiar with stories such as uh, Dan Brown's books or Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ may think that Jesus having a relationship with Mary Magdalene is the only scandalous sexual possibility for for the person of Jesus, but what about the disciple Jesus loved who is mentioned throughout the gospels? What about Lazarus? Are those not potential partners of Jesus's as well? Of course, those relationships could have been platonic, but as we know, an unmarried Jewish man in Jesus's day was exceedingly rare. So this is what I mean by removing the heteronormative blinders and considering scripture with um, you know, with new eyes, I think it's possible that uh, Jesus' relationships um, are more than we have considered. Lastly, the Holy Spirit is queer. References to the Holy Spirit using various genders, including um, as the divine feminine wisdom, Sophia, um, are throughout scripture at other times scripture uses masculine images and pronouns for the spirit um, the hebrew word ruach is feminine and the greek word numa is neuter so we have again um, a divinity that is depicted as uh, gender fluid or non-binary um, sometimes feminine sometimes non-binary sometimes masculine um so if the holy spirit is feminine or non-binary Um, but also the agent of mary's conception of jesus which luke 1 tells us that makes the immaculate conception a queer event Um, sometimes we we are uncomfortable considering um even if we are thinking of the holy spirit as a male the immaculate conception being some having some kind of sexual uh, undertones to it however you can even take a step further and if you consider the holy spirit not to be male um, but you also look at those undertones, then, um, then the Immaculate Conception becomes a queer event. The spirit falls on all kinds of people, transgressing, transgressing all the boundaries that humans try to erect around what is acceptable. And so in that sense, the spirit's activity is always queer in the general sense of, uh, of the word queer as being transgressive. Um, The spirit is constantly queering what we think of as normal. And so if God is queer, if Jesus is queer, if the Holy Spirit is queer, then affirming and including LGBTQ people becomes even more um, urgent and vital. uh, And even the connection between affirming and including LGBTQ people and including God becomes even more clear. next time we are going to talk about um, racial and ethnic inclusion um, from the standpoint of predominantly white institutions um, followed by a session on uh, inclusion of people with disabilities so I hope you'll return and listen to the next two episodes of the podcast I'm Stephen Stacks and this is Theology of Inclusion thank you